Hi, this is JP Mack, and welcome to Liberty Relearn, not just another conservative blog. Okay, here we are again. Uh, another week has passed, and of course there is, as usual, more uh, current events to go over that uh, tie directly into uh, conservatism and libertarianism. And so we're going to focus on them. Uh, one area in, in particular this week is going to be the Second Amendment. Of course, that is because this past week, uh, New York Attorney General Letitia James um, proclaimed that uh, they will be suing the NRA, the National Rifle Association, uh, and in her tweet, uh, accuses them um, see if I can get this strictly we are seeking to dissolve the NRA for years of self-dealing and illegal conduct that violate the New York Charities Law and undermine its own mission the NRA diverted millions of dollars away from its charitable mission for personal use by senior leadership and that is uh, according to uh, Twitter, uh, James's uh, Twitter response. And this, of course, I think is part of a larger pattern of uh, trying, attempting to drive a wedge between uh, Trump voters and Trump on on different subjects that. Uh, are normally associated with the Republican Party or the conservative cause or with Trump himself. There seems to be an emerging pattern, uh, a divide and conquer strategy, if you will, uh, that, that the Democrats have seized upon. Because obviously they really can't win on the issue, the Democrats. Um, you know what? What are they for that would be good for America? I mean, they're not for tax cuts. Uh, they're not for lower regulation. Uh, they're not um, apparently for religious freedom. Uh, you can see that quite easily. Uh, we talked about how the governors in different states are limiting religious freedom in different states so they're not they're not for that and of course a lot of the stuff is being done by the governors uh, under the guise of you know, COVID-19 precautions uh, apparently you can't sing in church because that's too dangerous even if you're six feet away from people uh, but this is a part of a a larger strategy that the left, I think probably particularly the Democratic Party, is attempting to employ, trying to uh, plant seeds of doubt among Trump voters um, with regards to some of his policies and some of the, the pillars of conservative thought of, you know, just like uh, conservative, iconic 
pillars um, such as the NRA. Uh, I would not be surprised if they find a way to go after uh, the National Right to Life movement. I think they would like to discredit that. Uh, Fox News, of course, they've been trying to discredit Fox News. Again, because they know that most people who are on the conservative side get their news from Fox News. Um, and also OAN, you know, they, they've, they've attempted to, uh, well, they did publicize the one, per, the one coach uh, for wearing an OAN t-shirt uh, during a fishing, fishing trip having nothing to do with the school or any school functions. They just posted online. And he just happened to be wearing an OAN shirt. Uh, one of the I guess, incoming athletes on his team complained about it, uh, claimed that OA, OAN, the new news organization, uh, One America Network, is, uh, is racist based on some pretty flimsy evidence about one, one comment that a reporter made that was basically taken out of context and so they're they're actively trying to disrupt these pillars of conservative thought and of course you have organizations like the Lincoln Project which are these never Trumper Republicans uh, and I want to talk about them for a minute because I think they're at the heart of this, um, they're obviously part of this undermining of Trump support, making uh, Trump supporters and traditional Republicans doubt, uh, you know, waver on their dedication to having the president reelected. And so you have these never Trumper uh, former Republicans, I guess, or pseudo-conservatives, or I don't know what you want to call them, uh, talking about Trump, and I can't understand for the life of me of the rationale that any conservative would have for being against Trump. Now, yeah, I mean, I get that he's a little bit abrasive and harsh and sends out mean tweets and probably uh, has done some unforced errors that his opponents have been able to seize upon and make hay of. But, I mean, so, again, stylistically, uh, Trump has not always, you know, he's, he's not always matched what the typical conservative voter in the past is like, the you know, the, the, typical Republican conservative voter has been for. He doesn't fit the bill, really. Uh, he's not a John McCain. He's not a Mitt Romney. You know, nice guy, but, you know, kind of ineffectual. And, and again, um, there is some, I guess, truth to that or rationale to a conservative being not really all that happy all the time with Trump. I mean, in full disclosure, 
I was not for Trump initially four years ago. I think out of a field of 17 candidates, he was probably my 17th choice. I was for Marco Rubio Cruz in the beginning. I voted for Cruz in the in the primaries. Um, just to say, really, that I voted for him, even though the primary really didn't matter at that point. But but just to make a statement, so um, I can understand why a Trump supporter or what why why a you know good old fashioned Republican would not support Trump based on his style and some of the things he said and and of course there's the things he said about John McCain which you know weren't really that great of an idea you know didn't really help help out his cause when he talked about John McCain and and, and he made some other statements but then once he became the nominee I mean there was really no choice you had to Go with him because what was the alternative? The alternative was Hillary Clinton, um, a big government, a liberal, um, maybe not a true uh, socialist, but pretty much a de facto socialist, uh, certainly a statist. And so, if you're a conservative, you know, maybe not would, would Trump, you know, candidate Trump from. 20, but I mean Hillary. I mean, there's no comparison. You know, you have to you have to figure. Well, what are my values? You know, you know, if I maybe if I elect Trump, I get some of my conservative agenda through. If I elect Hillary, I get none of it through. And and in fact, I get basically the opposite of what I want if I vote for the other person. And we have a, a similar situation. Uh, four years later, with uh, Vice President Biden and Trump. Of course, Trump now is a known quantity. And I would say, um, I think by most standards, he's actually governed pretty conservatively. I think he's been really the most conservative president since Ronald Reagan, which I think that's saying a lot. Of course, there's only been two in between there, two Republicans. Um, neither Bush was particularly conservative. I mean, they were conservative-leaning, right-of-center, but not really um, ideologues. Uh, they just kind of went along with the conservative line when it was easy, and then when it got hard, they did not, not really push back. And they did some things like... Uh, like uh, the the Medicare uh, drug, you, you know the drug drug prescription part of Medicare that uh, George W. Bush added. Not really a conservative plan, but okay. On the whole, he was conservative or or right of center, but really nothing. They he really did not do much to move the ball as far as conservative traditional conservative values um, got a tax cut through that you know had a uh, sunset clause which I don't, I don't know why they do that but anyhow um, but Trump 
uh, really has been, I think, many, I think many conservatives have been pleasantly surprised on what Trump has done and what he's tried to do. Uh, of course, the major legislation he got through when he had both houses of Congress was the tax cut. And it even had a little bit of bipartisan support. And I think it's uh, turned out uh, rather well for him. Uh, most Americans have more money in their pockets. And and uh, businesses have more money to hire people. And I think on whole, that's a good thing. And he also, if you remember, tried to repeal and replace Obamacare. Uh, that was one thing that the Republicans uh, trying to you know go along to get along, they were still in that mode, and uh, I think we squandered an opportunity to really get something done, and uh, I think we have mainly John McCain, the late John McCain, God rest his soul, uh, to thank for having no meaningful. Um, healthcare legislation passed in Trump's tenure, and that's really a shame. Some people have suggested that it was his personal animosity that he was not going to hand uh, Trump a signature achievement, and if there was any possible way that he could be rationalized being against it, he was going to torpedo that legislation. And that that is uh, pretty common common uh, viewpoint among a lot of conservatives but he did Trump, Trump did his best I would think to get that legislation passed and he nearly succeeded again it was basically uh, for the efforts of people like John McCain uh, resisting uh, or other elements of the Republican Party wanting to like have a perfect bill of course we know that uh, perfect is the enemy of the good enough and that was uh, shown to be the case with the health care reform bill that Trump tried to pass but he did make the attempt hopefully if we can regain the house this time around and keep the senate uh, we can revisit health care reform and get that done uh, there are some other issues that uh, I think we conservatives have been pleased on the whole. Um, he's really fought against uh, needless and repetitive uh, regulations that, that hurt business, drive up the cost of, of doing business. I mean, if you look at, if you make a stack of regulations i mean that stack you know of papers is going to be 10 feet high i mean i think almost literally it's it's like several feet high of if you if you stack all of the federal regulations print them out stack them on top of each other um the you know the the pile of paper would be several feet high and we were talking about tens of thousands of pages of regulations and uh to his credit trump has uh fought against uh and tried to reduce the regulatory state which is i think is a big victory for 
the conservative cause because, you know, we conservatives are funny. We don't want to be governed by bureaucrats. We want to be governed by people answerable to the people. Um, you know, we want our elected officials making laws and not uh, government bureaucrats. And so that's one other good thing that Trump has done, and of course Hillary would have not done, and Joe Biden uh, would undo certainly most of the gains. Uh, he would increase the size of government and uh, increase the number of people who are unaccountable to the electorate um, us, or, or, you know, rules that have the virtual effect of being laws. And so Trump has, I think, done pretty well on that. Uh, he's done pretty well on uh, picking Supreme Court justices. I guess it's, it's hard to uh, know how a justice is going to rule, but I think we're better, obviously, with the justices we have with Gorsuch and Kavanaugh than we would had Hillary won. I think uh, they would, the Democrats would certainly be able to legislate from the bench and and follow what they call the living constitution, which basically renders the constitution meaningless. So uh, I think most conservatives would be happy with Trump there. And, of course, he did uh, get the tax cuts through, as I've mentioned. Uh, he did get rid of the Iran deal, which never, which, which is a horrible deal. I don't know that really that, that had that much of an effect. I mean, because all of the worst parts of the deal had already gone through. I mean, we already paid all of that money to Iran, uh, playing loads of cash, literally plane loads of cash to the Iranians, which they, uh, I think it's safe bet that some of that went to, into terrorism and maybe even killing American soldiers in Iraq and other, uh, other of our allies and other terrorist acts, particularly in Israel. And he, he did, speaking of Israel, move the embassy to Jerusalem. Uh, that's something that, you know, a President Biden or a President Clinton does not do. I mean, even uh, neither President Bush uh, did that, even though that was something that was on the table, something that was being asked for by many conservatives. Uh, President Trump finally did it. He finally moved our embassy to Jerusalem, which is the capital of Israel. Then, of course, uh, President Trump armed the Ukrainians with lethal uh, armament that they could use uh, against the Russians to, uh, in their civil war to fight against Russian aggression, which is funny. That's not something that you would expect a uh, Putin puppet to do. But, I, you know, I think that just... <laughs> gives lie to the claims that he's a Russian stooge or a Putin puppet. And, of course, you're hearing that again uh, from 
the news media, they're already trying to hint at the possibility that Putin is trying to uh, influence our election, which which I would not doubt he's trying to do. I mean, they're always trying to meddle in our affairs. So that part is not surprising. And they're also, but they're trying to connect uh, his efforts, uh, Putin's efforts to Trump and trying to paint Trump as a willing uh, collaborator or recipient of these efforts, which I think, I mean, that part, I think, uh, well, first of all, it tells us that the deep state is still there. I think there are some duplicitous actors within the State Department, within the national security apparatus of the country. So, because how, how would we know this unless this is, had been leaked. I mean, this is not something that normally would come up. Um, but again, uh, warning, uh, came back to my theory that the Democrats have seized upon a divide and conquer strategy. They're trying to create down and say, Oh, well maybe, uh, uh, Trump is colluding with the Russians. Now, if three years of a of a Mueller investigation didn't turn it up, I mean, I don't know what will. I mean, they spent millions of dollars trying to find a connection between uh, Putin and the Trump campaign, and they couldn't. Uh, all they did was find like a, I don't know, a couple dozen uh, social media people putting uh, stupid ads on Facebook. I mean, that's what their whole thing amounted to as far as national security, actual national security and election interference came to. And of course, there was a whole uh, Mike Flynn thing that um, still in the middle of being resolved. Um, unbelievably, you know, as far as I know, uh, that the case has not gone away totally, even though there's really no chance of, of General Flynn ever being prosecuted and convicted of any kind of crime, any process crime, or certainly not of violation of the Logan Act. But the uh, Democrats and their allies will persist. But I think they're going to fail on that. But again... That's just one one area where the Democrats are, are, I guess, trying to cause trouble, trying to raise doubts, trying to plant that seed of doubt in people's minds that, ooh, maybe Trump really is colluding with the Russian because we've had some vague uh, reports that that there has been some sort of collusion, maybe possibly happening between Russia and Trump campaign, and Trump may be inviting it. You know, lots of lots of maybes in there. Not not a whole lot of proof. Not a lot of whole uh, hard evidence. And I don't think they're going to find any. But they're nonetheless trying to plant those seeds of doubts. I guess that's aimed at the moderates because I don't think any Trump supporter or any really hardcore Republican is going to be moved by these accusations. 
Um, but they are evidently trying to peel off some maybe independent voters with that. Some people are kind of wishy-washy and trying to say, yes, I'll see what we, we told you so. Um, but I don't think that that uh, that particular line line's going to bear any fruit. Of course, they're going to keep persisting and you're going to hear reports about it. But I don't think that anything's going to happen with that. And, you know, the, the Mueller report was the Democrats' attempt putting all their efforts into finding, uh, proving collusion between Russia and the Trump campaign. And that took three years. So I don't think their efforts are going to bear fruit, certainly not before the election. But they'll, they'll keep out that innuendo that that Trump is colluding with the Russians. Which again is funny because I don't think that um, that Putin really has really been well served by having Trump in the White House. I think he his objective to the extent he has one is just to cause more trouble and kind of to play both sides of the fence and just uh, create a situation of anarchy now. I'm sure he's quite happy with what's happening now with these Marxist and anarchist uh, protests, which, of course, um, I think were our products uh, in some cases of KGB interference during the Cold War. And... You know, some of their propaganda, you know, has borne fruit, uh, even though the Cold War is technically over. Some of their efforts decades ago, back in the 90s and before, are bearing fruit. And, of course, you know, they, the uh, socialists and communists have really influenced and really uh, tended to in infiltrate the academia um, to the point where they've really um, spread a lot of disinformation about America and got uh, a whole generation of young folks hating America based on lies and distortions of the truth. And some of that, I believe, can be traced back to the Cold War era of you know, uh, Russian or Soviet interference. And so you have that. So I think um, I think uh, both Biden and Putin are quite happy with the state of affairs in this country. Um, you notice that no real prominent Democrat uh, has explicitly uh, condemned Antifa, or and of course they would not condemn. Uh, Black Lives Matter, the organization for their efforts in undermining the trust in our government, the trust in our civil society, or the trust in our police. And they have been uh, uh, quite effective in turning some people against the cops, even maybe some former Trump supporters have been fooled into thinking that Trump is a racist and Again, that goes back to a concerted effort to uh, peel back elements of the Trump coalition 
Um, so they're they're obviously trying to go after uh, black support in particular, because really, if you think about it, if if the Democrats lose the support of black people um, who who generally vote Democrat um, ninety percent of the time, ninety percent plus of the time, uh, even if you bite into that advantage just by like five or ten percent that's that's thousands maybe even millions of voters that the democrats lose and so they're countering of course and they're trying to uh paint trump as being racist as they always have from the beginning um they it's funny that trump has not uh really done any legislation or done any uh, executive orders that would specifically hurt any race, much less uh, black people. So if he's a racist, he's pretty bad at it. Uh, you have before the COVID-19 crisis, record low black unemployment and record low Latino unemployment. Uh, unemployment of women was also way down, uh, pro approaching record lows in that area. And of course, with the, the, the tax cuts, virtually all Americans benefited from that. So, I don't know. I guess you have to suppose that, that President Trump just couldn't find a way to target that those t evil tax cuts just at white people. I mean... You know, I think as that's really the notion that he's a racist is really absurd. But people have bought into it. I mean, they still, to this day, uh, want to cite Charlottesville as an example of the racism, which of course is easily disproven um, by just you know reading his entire statement on the Charlottesville, and we've covered that before, so I'm not going to go over, over that again. And of course, there's, you know, the Covington teens, which I've talked talked about before. Um, but, you know, they keep beating that drum, and, you know, if you keep hearing the same lie over and over again, you, you, you might start to believe it. And so, um, but they are, I think they're very concerned, the Democrats are, about the potential for losing a lot of black voters. Uh, we've had a lot of, of you know, there was recently a, a march um, of black Trump supporters. Um, so, I mean, there there is, there are um, some black voters who are starting to question their their um democrat leanings all this time and there's a, there is a new movie out called Uncle Tom which was done by Larry Elder you know if you listen to AM conservative radio you probably heard him uh he's a uh, a black pundit i believe he's from Oakland Oakland California and uh well, he was from, he's born there, I, don't know, I believe he, um, I don't know if he's still there, but anyway, uh, he put together a pretty good documentary film called Uncle Tom, so 
say unsolicited, I guess, endorsement of that movie. Uh, even if you're not black, you know, it, you I think you can still learn a good deal about um, just the history of the Democrat Party, and of course their their ties to slavery, their ties to the KKK, to Margaret Margaret Sanger and Planned Parenthood, and uh, you know Andrew Jackson, President Jackson, you know the, the whole Trail of Tears thing, and and of course he was a slaveholder himself. He was the uh, first Democrat president. Um, so I mean, right there, you know, there's a distinction, and so they see uh, Republicans and conservatives eating into their pillars of support uh, with the black community, with the Latino community, and other communities, and they're of course trying to return the favor, and now they're attacking. Organizations such as the NRA. And I think we'll go into that uh, next in a little bit more detail. Because I definitely think that the Second Amendment is important. It's obviously, um, particularly in recent weeks and months, I think. I mean, you know, this year or this, this spring and summer could not have been, well, unfortunately, a better commercial for the Second Amendment. I mean, you could not dream of a better case than what we're experiencing now for the continued existence and uh, preservation of the Second Amendment. And as I mentioned before, um, the Democrats are taking aim at the NRA as I as I mentioned, it's long been one of their um, really nemesis uh, organizations. I mean, they they hate the MRA, the NRA, with a passion. Does the do the Democrats and the the liberal establishment? And this is, um, I think, this is a. Um, their hatred is serves a dual purpose. Of course, NRA uh, raises a lot of money, typically for Republican candidates. Um, they support the election of a lot of Republicans who tend, of course, to be pro-Second Amendment. And so they really want to... I think what they really are trying to do is tie up a lot of money um, with NRA, getting them to hire a lot of money for legal fees and hire lawyers and and focus a lot of resources, financial resources, to fighting this lawsuit rather than giving money to candidates or making ads in support of the Second Amendment and thereby, by extension, supporting uh, Republican candidates in some areas so they're trying to tie up a lot of money and that's one of their goals and of course the other goal is uh, just to disarm the American public um, basically neuter 
the American citizens so that they can do what they will with us and they know that they can't do certain things or certain certain of their certain of their objectives particularly on the extreme left communist socialist party objectives would be quite hard to enact and so on that note uh really a couple years ago an article having to deal with our second amendment rights uh explaining how they came about, why they came about. And so I wrote an article um, talking about the, it's entitled An Inconvenient Truth About the Second Amendment. And it is on the libertyrelearn.com website. So you can read this for yourself. I'm going to read this for you. I was reading it earlier today, trying to find like an excerpt that would kind of neatly sum up the points. But reading it, I mean, really, I think, I mean, not to toot my own horn, but I don't think there's a dispensable piece of it. So I'm going to read this to you in its entirety. Uh, it is called the An Inconvenient Truth About the Second Amendment. And it is online, and you can... Find it at libertyrelearn.com. And first it starts out with a description of the Second Amendment as it's written. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And that is the Second Amendment. And then I go on to say, inevitably, after a mass shooting incident like the one recently in Oregon. Okay, so I wrote this a couple years ago. There was a mass shooting in Oregon. Kind of forget the details, but it was, uh, I think, one of several that year that occurred. And, of course, uh, after a mass shooting, the Democrats... Uh, renew their cry for quote-unquote common sense uh, gun legislation which we know really um, the the ultimate target of their legislation is to to neuter or render render um, pointless the Second Amendment if not like out, outright revoke it just make it impossible to legally own a weapon or w legally own a firearm in this country so this happened uh, after an incident in Oregon of, a few years ago. Um, so continue on. Um, after a mass shooting incident like the one recently in Oregon, debate ignites anew over our country's gun laws. The gun control side calls for common sense gun laws. Most of that side are in earnest. They see the Easy availability of guns as the problem. Many Americans will agree, even gun owners, that guns should be kept out of the hands of the criminally insane. They work out the math as maniacs plus guns equals mass killings. On the left, the main variable, perhaps even the only variable in this equation, is the guns. Those on the political right see the maniacs variable as 
being equally, if not more important. That is the debate, the debate that reasonable people can and should have. There's another equation that those on the far left are focused on, one that does not embody the altruistic reasonings as the one mentioned above. For them, maniacs plus guns equals mass killings, but it is a facade. The one thing, the one that really matters to them is citizens minus guns equal control. They know that under the current state of affairs, to suddenly enact their agenda would be met by strong, perhaps even violent resistance. They fear that their extreme vision for America cannot be achieved through constitutional means. Indeed, they are already testing those boundaries. For those people on the far socialist fringes, the Second Amendment to the Constitution poses an inconvenient truth. Truth that they dare not speak of, nor wish to be understood by the average American. America's founding fathers could not have foreseen the pervasive social sickness that is driving the current rash of mass shootings. If they had, maybe they would have crafted the Second Amendment a little differently. We will never know. We do know that they did have experience with a tyrannical government and thus wrote the Bill of Rights as insulation from such tyranny. Most of those rights were to counter specific situations that they themselves were victims or potential victims of. These include the right to be secure in one's possessions and not be subject to warrantless searches as laid out in the Fourth Amendment. Most of the other amendments, as well as the rights of free speech and religion, were meant to be protected by the government in the form of interventions by either law enforcement or by the courts. A citizenry exercises these rights, and the government is expected to enforce them. The Second Amendment is different. The Second Amendment addresses the possibility of a rogue government that cannot or will not enforce certain of these rights. In this extreme case, and I have that in bold bold print, in this extreme case the onus is on the citizenry itself to both exercise and enforce the right to bear arms as means of preserving the others. Just to be clear here, the abridgment of rights must be severe and every other recourse must have been exhausted before anyone can claim to be acting as defense. For the founders, the equation was responsible citizens plus guns equal the assurance of liberty. That's the inconvenient truth that the Second Amendment holds for the radical left. Many progressives have accepted the fact that the Second Amendment will not be repealed. Some will note that they are gunners themselves. Democratic candidates often go out of their way to state that they and their family are hunters or enjoy target shooting. They wish to frame the argument over gun control in such terms. 
They hope that average Americans will associate their right to bear arms with such sporting pursuits. Many politicians are fine with only minor changes to our gun laws in the name of public safety, but there are others who understand exactly why the Second Amendment exists, and for them, gun ownership is a problem. The difficulty for the average American in distinguishing between the two, how then the difficulty for average American is distinguishing between the two. How then do we know? Telltale signs that a politician does not support the Second Amendment are support for a ban on assault rifles. The wording of the Second Amendment includes a well-regulated militia. Militia, by their very nature, require military-grade firearms. This goes too far. Oh, this goes too for uh, ammunition. Uh, point number two: They make frequent statements such as "You don't need 20 rounds to kill a deer." The founders did not write the Second Amendment to ensure your right to hunt or target shoot. Third point: They claim to. They claim the Second Amendment only applies to military and law enforcement and the, that the ordinary citizens don't need guns. The founders deliberately used inclusive language in the amendment. The right of the people, and the people are uh, in boldface in, in the article, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Who are the people? Me and you, providing and providing we are responsible citizens. If you how we can reduce gun violence, then that is a discussion worth having. If you want to keep guns out of the hands of criminals and the violently unstable, that's reasonable. We might decide to address the problem of dangerously mentally ill and see how that works. If, on the other hand, you want to take away the right of law-abiding, average law-abiding citizen to own a gun, then the question you owe America in answer to is, what exactly do you have planned for us that you think can only be achieved by disarming the population first? So let me repeat that last sentence, because I think that's the key, particularly now, um, uh, for what's going on today. I think it's a little bit clearer now um, that this is an important question. Okay, the question you owe the American people an answer to is, what exactly do you have planned for us that you think can only be achieved by disarming the population first. And I think that is indeed the main question. What do they have in mind for us? Well, I think that that question has been answered. Um, what the far left has in mind for us is nothing short of a communist revolution, uh, the violent overthrow of the United States government and our way of life and had you told me I'd be saying those things uh, on a podcast 
you know, a couple years ago, I thought you were crazy. But here we are in 2020, and we do have these violent demonstrators, and they are clearly Marxist. They are very clear in their intentions. They want to upturn the entire uh, American experiment and the experiment and start one in their own image that puts them on top. And most make mo no mistake, it's not about uh, social justice. It's not about uh, justice for people like George Floyd or any of that. It's for them being in power, being the ones on top. And so I think they've basically made their their uh, demands clear. Their mask is off. And now we know what exactly they have planned for us that they think can only be achieved by disarming the population. And so you have it. Um, of course, you know, Joe Biden is not going to say that. That's what he has in mind for the country. I mean, he's going to say he has in mind, you know, high taxes and redistributing the wealth and and you know solar energy and and all that good stuff but i think we've pretty much figured out by now um that the, that joe biden is really just an empty vessel for the far left to fill with their own values um and and you could see uh by his apparent uh, cognitive decline that, you know, he's lost his fastball. He's not the same candidate. He's not the same Joe Biden that uh, debated, um, you know, that that was in the vice presidential debates um, a couple of years ago. He's not the, the Joe Biden even of or more recently of the Obama administration. And I think he's going to be a a weak president. I think it's very important that you pay attention to who his VP pick is. Because I think, and like I said, brings me no joy to say it, uh, even though he's a Republican, or he is a Democrat, and he's pretty much... Um, opposed to most of what I am for as a conservative and really as, I would say, an American patriot. Um, I don't wish him any ill will, um, but, you know, the facts are what they are. Um, he has trouble getting through a live interview, and that's just the fact. I mean, so I would definitely... Uh, take a look at whose VP pick is and uh, be very concerned because I think that the chance of that person becoming president should Biden be elected is very good. It's, it's probably above average, probably above. Um, but, and like I said, it brings me no joy to say this. Um, I don't wish you wish any ill on the man, but I think he is going to be, a very weak president, and I think that people like AOC and the squad will take that opportunity to enact their own 
radical uh, Green New Deal agenda that basically, I mean, Biden has really not, he's basically signed on to. I mean, he has AOC as his environmental advisor. I don't know what she knows about the environment, except for the talking points, the fear-mongering, but I don't know what she really knows about uh, climate change. And, of course, Bernie, he's basically borrowing Bernie's plan for um, redistribution of wealth and all these crazy taxes. And, of course, you know, it still remains to be seen if he debates. I don't think that there are going to be three debates. I think he, I think at best we'll see one debate. And I think that's going to be pretty much, it's going to go, I think, as well as people expect, which is to say not that well. And I think after the first debate, the DNC is going to pull a plug. Uh, they're going to say that, you know, that's, see, uh, they'll they'll come up with something that they can hone in on what Trump says and it's beyond the pale, and and Trump has proven that he's incapable of reasonable debate. Blah blah blah. So, you know things, things along those lines. And they'll have some reason. Uh, I wouldn't doubt if they're already playing those reasons now. Um, and I say that without being cynical. I I really truly think that they're planning on how they can avoid further debate, particularly if. The debate turns out to be a debacle for the Biden campaign. Now, of course, if something happens and he does good, uh, then of course they'll they'll be all for it, and they'll they'll be you know we're gonna show Orange Man bad how bad he is, and we're gonna show the public how bad that Orange Man is, and so that will be their tune in what I think is the unlikely event that. Biden has a good good debate or even holds his own. I think we're going to see... I think we're going to be one and done with the debates. And I don't like to get into the political prediction realm. Of course, you know, because we know how that would have went, you know, back in 2016. I think even I would have lost that bet on who would have uh, won the presidential race uh, four years ago. But luckily, I was wrong and a lot of us were wrong. Um, but the, the Democrats are, I think they're afraid to debate. And if it goes wrong, uh, they're going to pull the plug on the debates. And of course, it still remains to, to be seen if Biden even, um, becomes a nom- the nominee. I think, I think that there's still a chance that they'll pull him out. They'll do some sort of bait and switch. They'll arrange something. Maybe he'll have you know, a very convenient uh, medical problem just prior to uh, his being uh, chosen officially as the the nominee. Um, So we don't even know that uh, he is going to be the nominee. And I think that may be why we're waiting so long for his pick. He was supposed to have made his pick by now. And I think that they are trying to, I think that what's holding is they are trying to come up with not just a plan B, but a plan C 
that who would be the replacement's running mate should that person, you know, because they're going to have to pick two people, not one, if, if Biden suddenly drops out and they do, which a lot of people predict. But right now, I think that's probably 50-50, maybe slightly lean towards uh, Biden continuing on. After all, he's looking good in the polls, uh, and he's in the, in his basement, and I think that they're going to keep him in the basement for as long as they can and not have him do public opinion. Meanwhile, you know, with COVID-19, uh, uh, Trump cannot have really any mass rallies. I think after Tulsa, I think he scaled back, and of course, you know, the death of Herman Cain, who attended the Tulsa rally... I think kind of, you know, made them, made the Trump campaign shy away, at least for a time, um, from big, large events. I think they'll find a way around it eventually. I think they will find a way to have people, I don't know, meet like an air, an airport tarmac or, or like a huge stadium or something like that. But that all remains to be seen. Um, just be wary that they are trying to attack some of the pillars, the traditional pillars of the Republican constituency. And I would expect attacks on, you know, of course, the NRA, um, National Right to Life, um, probably any number of other um, organizations associated with the conservative causes. So, you know, don't be fooled. Um, these attacks are going to be coming and the accusations will come. So again, that is our show. Um, I think we'll have to do some more. I think we'll hear some more on the second amendment in future shows, but I mean, some of it is dictated by the events on the ground and the, the uh, current events at the time. So thank you again, as always for watching or, or listening. Uh, this is the Liberty Relearn podcast uh, from libertyrelearn.com, not just another conservative blog. And I hope that if you are listening for the first time, you'll go back through the catalog and listen to some of the other episodes. And again, uh, if you like this episode, please tell a friend, tell two friends. Uh, word of mouth, I think, is the best advertisement at this point that we can have so we appreciate your listenership and so thanks again hope to talk to you next week until then uh, this is jp mac saying uh, stay healthy stay happy and see you again next week thank you bye